morning. We are starting a series called Life at the Lake this morning, and it will take us through the whole rest of the summer. Life at the Lake. The lake is one of, is my happy place. I have had the privilege to travel all over the world. My dad got a Eli Lilly sabbatical when I was 18 years old, which means the pharmaceutical company that my family has been paying into for years and years and years gave us some money back. It's basically what happens. But through that, we got to go all, we got to go to Israel. We got to go to Hawaii. There was a church conference in Hawaii. So that worked out well. Uh, so, um, and as an 18 year old, I got to go all over the place on my parents' dime. And uh, it was very, very, actually not my parents' dime, Eli Lilly's dime. Uh, so, I mean, if we would have bought stock in Eli Lilly, that would have worked out better for my family on, uh, you know, as much as my mama. And if, if you're not, uh, if you haven't been here very uh, long, you know, my mom, my, you don't know that my mom's been uh, chronically ill since she was 18 years old. And so uh, we deal with that all the time, but uh, I make light of it because that's the way we get through it. So there you go. Um, but life at the lake, and I tell you all that to say, I've been to Kauai, I've been to Israel, I've been to Italy. My favorite place to be in the world is a junky little town in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, that has a, a lake in it with a 600-foot uh, square, lake house, and uh, my in-laws own it, and it is uh, a pleasure just to go there and relax and try to catch fish and drown some worms and you know, and just have a blast. That is my happy place. And if I spend about 10 minutes on that specific dock, it's about as good as eight hours sitting on the couch watching TV. That's just, it's an instant plug-in. It's an instant rejuvenation. It's worth the three-hour drive over and dealing with traffic and trying to get on 80 to Indiana is always fun, right? Uh, so, but it's worth all that for some reason, and I don't really know why, and so um, I've been trying to boil that down and figure that, and how do I bottle that? How do I capture this so that I can replicate it in my own life? How can I be rejuvenated? How can I experience that in my own life here so it doesn't feel like I'm just waiting for the summer where I can go get, you know, those three months of warm weather, I can get me rejuvenated. This should not be a Shouldn't go through a spiritual and physical and emotional drought for the rest of the year. So how do I do that? And I think it's because I view the lake as an adventure. There is something always to do there. If you have a boat, you know it's actually a hole in the water that you throw money into, right? If you have a lake cottage, now you have a hole on land and a hole in the water that you get to throw money into. It is not you know, a financially sound place to go put things in. You should be stressed out of your mind about it. It helps me because I don't own the place. Uh, but, but it's my responsibility to help fix things around there. And if you know me, I'm not the handiest person in the world. I will say that I'm much improved. Uh, but I am not the handiest person in the world, and it stresses me out to no end to try to fix something because I know I'm incompetent. Now, how many of you know that the quickest way for a man to get angry is to be doing something that he knows he's incompetent about, right, and that he will be found out? 
Everyone already knows you're incompetent. Just let it go, okay? But I know, I know that I'm incompetent with this. I know I can't fix this. I know it's just, hopefully the instructions are really, really clear. Because, but when I view it as an adventure, it takes on a whole nother realm. I take it on an adventure, huh, maybe I can fix this engine. Maybe I can, what? If you know me, that's not possible, right? But maybe I can fix this engine. Maybe I can fix this. Maybe I can fix this faucet. Maybe I can untie this huge knot because I took my kids fishing. Maybe I can, and it's the adventure mindset that gets me through that, that this is a challenge that can be overcome. But if it happened, if the same exact thing happened over here on Landings Road, and it would suck my soul out, right? I would be the crankiest person in the history of mankind. Because, but it, all this changes the proximity, but what changes my viewpoint of, is this an adventure, or is this the daily blah, 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 blah. And so we're, we're dealing with life at the lake because I feel if you read the scripture, and I want to challenge you in the next couple of weeks to read and, and just keep on reading the first nine chapters of Mark. Mark is the Cliff Notes version of the scripture of the Gospels. Okay, if you read the first nine chapters of Mark, you basically get all the stuff that happens in and around the Sea of Galilee or in and around the lake. All these miracles, all these teachings, um, all these beautiful, amazing things are happening around at the lake. And it really is the adventure time of the Gospels. It is this new thing is happening. These thousands of people are watching Jesus and going, what is he going to do next? Is he going to walk on water? Is he going to feed a bunch of people? What is he going to do? And it's this adventure mindset of, think about it, Jesus is the oldest person in this group. He is 30 years old. He's the mature one. I know a couple 30-year-olds. Not the most mature people in the world. So he's the oldest. The youngest is probably 14, 15 years old. So you get a group of guys from 14 to 30, and they are on an adventure to change the world. And that's what we get to see when we look at the Gospel of Mark in chapters 1 through Nine. So if you read that on your own, you can start, start putting it through that paradigm of what adventure is going on here. Because I don't think we read the scripture as an adventure type thing. We read the scripture like, okay, what can I get from that? What's going on here? Okay, well, that was kind of boring. I don't understand what's going on. Those are really big names, right? That's what we, what we are at first glance look at in the scripture. But if we start to just enter into our relationship with the scripture is, what is happening here? What kind of adventure is happening? Our whole mindset changes, just like mine does when I'm over at the lake or I'm here. And so I want to switch my mindset to this adventure mindset in every day, not just when I get to go drown some worms. And I hope to show you how to do that over the next 10 weeks or so as well. I got some Sea of Galilee pictures here for you. I want to show you where we're going to be spending our time, okay? Um, if you can bring those up, that'd be great. Just the first one would be great. Okay, this is the Sea of Galilee. Um, this is during the rainy season. This is as green as it gets. You can tell that the mountains back here are uh, already still desert-y, right? This is as nice and as lush as it possibly can be. This is like National Geographic photojournalism. They probably brought some green filter and Photoshop it to make it that green. This is as nice as it possibly can be. These, you see these little towns around, and you see little, little hotels and stuff that's been built up. 
Well, these mountains behind us are the Golan Heights. If you've heard that in the news, there's a lot of wars that go on back there, okay? This is the, the land that they've given to the Palestinian people. Notice it's the desert part. The Israelis kept the green lush part. You wonder why they're mad about the land they got, okay? Um, we're like, well, we gave them, they gave them all that land. What are they upset about? And they gave them crap, okay? That's what they gave them. Um, anyway, that's a whole other political situation that we don't have to talk about tonight. Um, so anyway, there's, you see, like, maybe you can see a little bitty town way up on the hills there and all throughout. Nazareth is actually up in the mountains a little bit farther. You can kind of look down and see the Sea of Galilee. But that whole area is, this, is what's going on there. And Jesus keeps, keeps on just kind of working his way around. And then he takes a boat across and comes. Keeps on. You know, it's just where he spends his time and, and works. This is a very unique kind of people just around the lake. Everything revolves, the economy revolves around the lake. You guys here living where we do, you should understand that, right? The shipping makes everything go around here in Chicago. This is why, and then the train's coming out of it. That's why there's a town here, right? Okay, so, and that's why Joliet's here because we were the first stop on, on everything. If you don't know that, that's what I learned. It's fun. Um, But the Sea of Galilee operates the same way. It is a major thoroughfare, a major economic hub, a major food producer of this whole area. Next picture, please. I just want to show you a few of these things. Um, ah, This is actually... um, uh, yeah, here's another view. You're getting to see a little bit more of the browns, right? This this photographer didn't Photoshop it as well as the other one. Um, these are actually, uh, uh, I believe, grapevines going on down here. That is uh, all kinds of just stuff. This is the Sea of Galilee coast. Next slide, please. This is a view. This is probably Bethesda, Bethesda or Bethsaida, um, as you read in the scriptures or you see on a map. So these are the ruins of the Greek town uh, um, uh, Bethesda. And now you can, through the mountains, you can see down the Sea of Galilee. And so this is the whole area. You can see what's going on here is this is still Sea of Galilee-centric type area. So everything revolves around it. Even if, even if you're working up here and you're looking down, you're seeing the Sea of Galilee and going, okay, that's, that's there. Next slide. I think there's one more. And this is a storm coming up on the Sea of Galilee. And this comes very important when Jesus is walking on the water. You can see how this just sheet of rain is, is roaring across it. And that would be very exciting to be on a little bitty, you know, 14-foot boat in the middle of going, wee, here we go. Um, so that's just, it's very turbulent because of the way in which water is picked up off the Mediterranean. It goes across a mountain range, and then it hits the Sea of Galilee. And so what can happen in just a matter of minutes is these really, really, really wicked storms. Um, Kind of like we, I used to live in Western Michigan, and all of a sudden you're standing there and it's it's nice and sunny outside, and then it's snowing uh, five minutes later, um, and that's the kind of the same thing that happens. Just you have no idea the water, those bodies of water being so close to each other, and being so hot outside does some really weird stuff with the weather. That's what's going on here. So does that help you understand where we're at? It's the Sea of Galilee. Some of the times we just say, oh, in Israel, in this spot here, and this, what's going on there? Like, oh, okay. Never been there, Jared. Thanks a lot. So I wanted to give you like a little pictorial directory of where we're going to be for the next while. And we'll revisit these pictures uh, throughout the series. What we're talking about is the adventure is about healing, it's about peace, and it's about purpose. 
And so if we can reformat this adventure that we're talking about, this idea that we're talking about, of how do I get from a place of I just get through life to experiencing life, I just kind of wander through it or I attack it, I think what we have to do is manage this idea of the adventure is about healing, peace, and purpose. And if you look in the scripture and what Jesus is doing in Mark and Matthew and Luke, but what he's doing around the Sea of Galilee is he's leading an adventure of healing, of peace, and of purpose. Over and over again, he is doing one of the three or all three at the same time, and it is beautiful to watch. And I want to take you through one instance today where all three of these are combined. The instance is one of the most is one of the most interesting things uh, for me as a father. I really skipped over this thing happening when I wasn't a dad. This particular scripture means a whole heck of a lot more when you have a daddy. It means even more when you're a daddy whose daughter almost died, like you are me. I'm taking you to Mark chapter 5, verse 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, Jesus takes his own sweet time to get to the little girl. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had to call the ambulance on your daughter, if you ever had to wait in a waiting room for a doctor to see your daughter having a problem, about two seconds as your patient meets its max. What happens here is Jesus is walking there. There's a crowd of people following him and talking to him and grabbing his attention. This guy's like, if you could just hurry up a little bit, that'd be awesome. And then Jesus stops to heal and talk to some other people. Like, I don't know if there's a tank, but I don't really want you to use that tank of goodness on that lady. I want you to use it on my daughter. Right? It's very, very, you know, interesting feeling for Jairus. I have to give him a lot of uh, just credit for how he handles the situation because I like picked Jesus up, put him on my shoulders, and carried him to my daughter. You are the one who is supposed to be fixing my daughter. All right, please get there. The adventure is about healing, peace, and purpose. Mark five forty one. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithia cum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And he heals this little girl. Jairus does something amazing. He goes to the one who can fix her. He doesn't go tell his friends. He doesn't go tell his in-laws. He doesn't go and call the policeman. He doesn't put it on Facebook He goes directly to the one who can fix the problem. Think about this. He's a synagogue leader, a Jewish synagogue leader. So really, the person who has the most political to be challenged by Jesus, like the one who should distrust him the most, he's like, you know what? I don't care about that stuff. I don't care about the politics of this. I might lose my position in the synagogue. I might lose my position in the community. I might lose some business because of this. I don't care. He's the one that can fix my daughter. I'm going there. And he goes to the one who can fix it. Healing happens 
when broken things are given to the one who can fix them. Because sometimes we take our broken things to people who don't have the power, don't have the knowledge, don't have the ability to fix them. Healing is when broken things are given to the one who can fix them. Jarius does something wonderful. He runs to Jesus. He goes to Jesus. He doesn't care what it looks like. He doesn't care who's seeing him. He runs to Jesus for his daughter's sake. November 13th, 2010, my daughter was as gray as these walls. She was gasping for breath. She's about this big, about eight, ten weeks old, I think. And she's, she is gasping for breath. This happened in a matter of like 30 minutes. It was, it was like just a baby, and then all of a sudden she can't breathe. One of those exciting things. And we take her to the doctor, and we're there, and all of a sudden you hear a helicopter coming down, and I'm trying to give the lady my insurance information, and she says, you know the helicopter's for your daughter, right? I said, just threw my wallet at the nurse. It's like, take whatever you need, and I book it back down, uh, book it back there to the back, and there's my daughter getting strapped onto the, the lifeline thing, and my wife is just a puddle of mess. And I look at her, and she looks at me, and all these things are running through my head that would have been terrible for our marriage, like, why did you let our daughter get this sick? I was gone that weekend, so I had no frame of reference or whatever it was. I hadn't slept because I was on a youth conference with 45 kids that in the weekend. I just had arrived. And so all these things are playing in my head. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why did you do this? Thank you, Jesus, that none of those things came out of my mouth because it's totally inappropriate and totally uncalled for. And I looked at her, and she just said, do something. <laughs> There's doctors all around us. What do you want me to do is what came out. Thank, that's just what came out, right? She said, just pray through tears and through the snot and through everything. Just pray. I was like, all right. And so I'm, they're wheeling her, and I'm just praying for my little daughter. And it's the only thing that we could do, right? I can't make her breathe. I can't remove the mucus from her lungs. I can't restore her skin to the right color. I'm not even qualified to push on the little bag to get air into her little lungs. But the only thing I can do is run to Jesus. For a lot of us, we're dealing with sons and daughters, or loved ones, who may not be gasping for physical air, but they're gasping for spiritual air. They're gasping for emotional air. They are drowning in their own pity, in their own sorrow, in their own stuff. And the only thing that you can do is run to Jesus. Jarius gives us this example. He just books it to Jesus. I, I don't know. I can't go to anybody else. Nobody else needs to know about my stuff. Nobody else needs to know about my issues. I just need to run to Jesus. How do we do that? I think Jarius gives us that exact thing to do. Healing is what takes place when we take broken things and give them to ones who can fix them. And far too often in our life, we go to other people that can't fix them. Far too often, we, we take them to, to, to Oprah or Dr. Phil. Far too often, we take them to places that they just, they're not, they are not even equipped to take care of what it is when Jesus is equipped to deal with the issues. Well, the second thing he does is he humbles himself. 
Think about this. This is a leader in the community. And the scripture says he throws himself at Jesus' feet. He throws himself at Jesus' feet. He throws himself at Jesus' feet. Here is the, this, is, this is amazing to think about. The posture of that. To come before Jesus and just, I'm nosediving because I'm worried about my daughter. My daughter is dying, but I'm nosediving at Jesus' feet to say, please come, please come, please come heal my daughter. Do you have this in your image? You have this in your head because this is what's going on, and this is the same posture that we need to assume when we go to Jesus. This is this posture, and i got to be honest with you. Sometimes in my posture, when I'm asking for healing, either spiritual, emotional, or physical healing, I'm trying to look him in the eye. Because I've been taught as a man, you shake a hand, you look him right in the eye. I am not an equal of Jesus. I have no business looking him in the eye. When I am begging him for the, the supernatural kind of healing that needs to take place, and I come at him like he owes me something, like I'm directly like an equal with him. And this is the wrong kind of posture to have. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. And maybe you are too. But Jairus dives at his feet. Are we diving at Jesus' feet to lift up the requests that we have, whether spiritual, emotional, or physical healing? He humbles himself. So the question is, how is your posture? He trusts in Jesus, the third thing. He trusts him so much that he doesn't throw a hissy fit when Jesus stops to heal someone else. Right? He trusts Jesus so much that he's like, well, he's just going to do what he's going to do. We're going to walk around this crowd. I, everyone that talked to Jesus at that time would have had a bloody lip. Every, every, you know, they, no, you were going with me here. You, I, that's just my personal, my flesh would have been screaming that because I want to need Jesus to get there yesterday. But he trusts in God's timing. He trusts in Jesus' walk. He trusts in who he is. He trusts that this is the man who can take care of the problem. He doesn't hedge his bets. And this is important, I think. Sometimes I think we're like, okay, Jesus, if you would heal my so-and-so and do that, that'd be great. And then we're like, okay, now let's see how we can take care of the problem. Okay, so if Jesus doesn't come through for us, we've got these other solutions going on. And I just... Jairus isn't running around town like going to find a different doctor and be like, hey, can you come with me too? Or another prophet. Hey, can you, can you come over here too? Because if this guy doesn't work out, we got number two, number three, number four on the list. And I just sometimes, especially with, our, with some of our issues, we're like, oh, well, if that doesn't work, if Jesus doesn't work, we'll go to option B. He trusts in Jesus. The adventure is about healing. It's about peace. And it's about purpose. We miss peace when we focus in on the circumstances instead of his power. We miss peace when we focus in on our circumstances instead of his power. This is very easy to do. I think um, Jarius overcomes this. and something that we struggle with uh, from a day-to-day basis. Is Jarius said, you know what? Here's my daughter. This is the issue. You're going to have it under control. And he looks like he's having peace in this situation. I would have been a rollade eating mess. But we miss peace when we focus on our circumstances instead of his power. And this is something that's going to be played out a lot over and over and over and over and over again in 
uh, the next few weeks as we watch Jesus take, cast out demons into pigs, and we watch him uh, walk on water, we him, watch him calm a storm, we watch him do all kinds of stuff. People get stressed out when they start focusing in on their circumstances instead of on Jesus's power. Matthew 6, verse 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about what you're about your body, what you will wear. Is it not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Than they? Can any one of you, wor- <coughs> sorry, by worrying at a single hour to your life? Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to a bunch of poor people really poor people. These are shepherds. These are farmers. These are fishermen. These are not affluent people. These are not people who have stuff in the bank account. These are day laborers, and they live by day by day. They have just enough to get by. There's no government assistance program that's going to bail them out of anything. They just have enough to get by today. And Jesus is speaking to them, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Your heavenly Father has got you. This is it's amazing that the audience that he's speaking to. Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, when we we miss peace when we focus on circumstances instead of his power? I don't know about you, but this happens to me when I get anxiety creeping up as I'm focusing in on my stuff and my circumstances and how I don't know how it's going to get better and how I don't know anything. Instead of placing it in Jesus' hands, instead of running to Jesus, humbling myself and trusting him. Christ offers us a life in which we start it by trusting him, by trusting him with our future and then continuously working on trusting him with our present. I don't understand this. I do it all the time. I am perfectly okay with trusting God with my eternity. That forever, my eternity, that I will be in heaven. I, I, have, I don't have a problem trusting him with that. But the next five minutes, that's hard to give him. And that's totally backwards. But that's just where I'm at. Maybe you're at too. But how do we give it to God? How do we trust him with that? What does Jarius do? He throws himself at Jesus' feet. And in that posture, he has peace. The adventure is about healing, about peace, and about purpose. Talk about purpose. It's an amazing thing that's happening here in this adventure at the life at the lake. Matthew 4, 18 says this. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. They were Simon. His other name was Peter. And Andrew, his brother. They were putting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, I'll make you, fisher, make you fish for men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, Jesus saw two other brothers. They were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were sitting in a boat with their father, mending their nets. Jesus called them. And at once they left their boat and their father and followed Jesus. And I wonder what Zebedee thought about that. Like, were you, were you, can you at least finish your homework? Like what's going on here? But he calls them to this great adventure. These guys thought they were going to live out the rest of their days as fishermen. And instead, a rabbi said, come follow me. I've got a grand adventure for you. 
And this is speaking such an elevation into their life that we'll talk about at a later time. But this is amazing. He's saying, I have a hope and a future for you, and I've got something bigger planned for you. Are you ready for this grand thing? He gives them purpose. It's something that is offered to us in our lives today as well. Maybe we're not really in need of of healing or of peace. We've got that, but we feel like we're kind of aimlessly wandering around. One of the main things of an adventure is you have to have a dragon to slay. You have to have a purpose. And this is what Jesus is offering us. What does Jarius do about this? He trusts Jesus. At the scariest moment of his life, he trusts Jesus. The summer you were invited on an adventure, an adventure to experience who Jesus is, who he is in the scripture, and who he can be for you. Maybe you're in one of these places today. Maybe you're in a place that needs healing. Maybe you're in a place that needs peace. Maybe you're in a place that needs purpose. And for you, I want you to ask a few questions of yourself. Who are you running to? You're running to something, but who are you running to? Second question, how is your posture? This one hit hard for me last night as I was going over this message. My posture stinks. How is your posture? And third, who do you trust With your future and with your present, who are you trusting? If it's not Jesus, you will be disappointed. Can we trust that Jesus actually does have the best our best interest at heart? We serve a God who loves us and has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. A God who hasn't forgotten you and has not given up on you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're going, I need spiritual or emotional or physical healing. I need to have peace in my life. I need a purpose. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? God, we ask you, I know there's people in this room right now that need healing. There's scars and there's wounds and there's stuff and there's issues and there's physical manifestations of all of that. That we desperately need your healing touch. That we come before you right now and say, God, I need your touch. I need your healing. That some of us are just so racked with anxiety so racked with stress that we need your supernatural peace, that you would take away our worry, that we could come and humbly submit ourselves at your feet. Lord, some of us need purpose. We ask you to make a way for us, that we we ask you to lay a burden on our hearts, that we, we have to wake up in the morning and attack that we have to be a part of finding the solution for whatever that is. 
God, that you would lay the burden of the kingdom of God on our hearts so deeply that we couldn't help but work for you, strive for you. Lord, right now we want to run to you, lay at your feet and trust you. God, will you be Lord of our lives? Will you take away our past and give us a hope and a future? In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.